tonight is usually our prayer night, but we're not going to have prayer tonight because it's Mother's Day and we figure a lot of the families would want to be with their moms. And so we're canceling that for tonight. Mark chapter 7, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 7 and verse 33 begins our text. This is our last week in Mark chapter 7. Moving into chapter 8 next week. If you're there, would you mind standing once more as I read the text? It's a short text. Beginning in verse 31, we read, Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he, that would be Jesus, came through the midst of the region of Decapolis, which is ten cities, to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hands on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should not tell that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And Father, we pray that you would teach us your word. We pray, Father, that if uh, we are your disciples, then there should be life application for us, just as there were. There was surely life application for those men that were with you at that time. And so give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, well, last week we looked at the deliverance of a Gentile mother's daughter, the Syrophoenician woman. Remember, she came to Jesus, she prayed. Uh, really, she was interceding for her daughter, you know, please, I have a daughter. She's severely demon-possessed, you know, and all. And, and Jesus, of course, answered her request, and the demon, demon was gone by the time she got home and she saw her daughter lying on the bed. And so here we see really another um, account of intercession. Um, Mark is the only one that recorded this particular... Can we open one of those doors back there? The heat kept turning off. So the heat's off, but we're going to open up just for a few minutes so that we could get some air in here because otherwise you guys are going to sleep. And I'm talking to the air, so okay. So Mark is the only one that recorded this particular miracle. And, and Mark tells us, and we see this in verse 32, then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And then Mark goes on to say, and they begged him, so they begged Jesus, to put his hands on him. Now guys, listen. The Bible's not boring. If the Bible is boring, there's one of two reasons. First reason, you have not the Spirit of God. You say, 
How can you make that judgment? I'm just simply stating what the Bible teaches. You have not the Spirit of God. You say, how do I get the Spirit of God? You need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he will give us his Spirit, that his Spirit comes and takes up residence inside us. The Spirit of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is with us before conversion. He is in us after conversion. He is available to come upon us for that dunamis power so that we might be witnesses of, of his, uh, you know, as, as we live our lives. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that's ongoing. We see many aspects to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write the scriptures. We know that the Holy Spirit teaches us the scriptures. So if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God. And if you're a believer in the Word of God, the Word of God is not born, and you know that to be true. The second reason the Word of God might not or might be born to you is because you're simply not in it. <laughs> you're not giving yourself to it. You're not disciplined in, in reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures and desiring to know the scriptures. And you might say, well, why would we need to be diligent to know the scriptures, to read the scriptures? Well, why? I mean, we're, we're much more educated than they were back then. And, you know, you could come up with all sorts of excuses. And the reason it's important for us to be in the word of God is because that's how faith comes. Faith does not come by seeing miraculous things. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. So faith, as we're studying the word of God, as we're reading the word of God, as we're hearing the word of God, our faith is developed, our faith is strengthened, our faith grows. Well, you say, Dan, you always say that. I do always say that. I'm like a broken record because I know that the word of God is the key to keeping us from going astray, from getting involved in all sorts of strange things. When I read the scriptures, many times in my mind, I'm just asking questions. Now I'm, you know, directing the questions to the Lord. And as I read our text today, there was something that just kind of jumped out at me. I'll show you what it is. I think it's apparent as you read through it. The word they, it's used twice in verse 32. The word they, it's used twice in verse 36. The word they is used once in verse 37. And then we have the word them that's used twice in verse 36. And so as I read this text, as I'm reading it, you know, and I tried to emphasize it a little bit as I was reading it, that the question that comes to my mind is, who were they? Because, guys, if you're not careful, you could just read this and say, well, again, it was Jesus and a man who was in need, and Jesus did what Jesus would do, you know, and the man left and he was healed and end of the story. But we're missing a very important group of people. We're missing the theys of the text. Who were they? Well, we don't know because the scripture doesn't tell us who they were. It's similar to what we see in the, um, the healing of the paralytic. Remember, Jesus had gone to Capernaum. Most likely, it doesn't tell us for sure, but most likely he went into the home of Peter. So many people gathered in the house of Peter, around the house of Peter, that these four men who scooped up a paralytic to bring him to Jesus couldn't even get near the house. And so they went up on the house, they took the roof off of the house, and they lowered the paralytic down. Remember that story? And as we looked at that a number of months ago now, 
I suggested when Jesus addressed them, you know, who was he addressing? Was he addressing the paralytic? You'll have to look at the text to see what I'm referring to. Or was he addressing the, uh, the four men that scooped him up? Who were these men? Who were these people who brought this man with the, you know, the need to hear and the need to speak? And I would say that they were intercessors. They were mediators. They were friends to this man in the true sense of the word. And we don't even know if they knew him before they brought him to Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Well, we don't know that the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus knew the man before they brought the man to Jesus. In fact, I almost wonder, you know, when you read about the paralytic or even this man here, these men bring this man to Jesus. What if he would have protested? What if he would have said, put me down or, or let go of my arm or my, my elbow or whatever? You know, where are you taking me? I have no need of it. I'm just fine, you know. There's a lot of people like that when it comes to their greatest need, which is salvation. I don't need anything. Don't judge me. Who do you think you are, you know? Hey, man, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to bring you to the, <laughs> the life. I'm trying to bring you to the truth. I'm trying to bring you to the way, the only way to the Father, and that is to Jesus. And there are many people who protest, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. They brought this man to Jesus. They didn't just bring the man to Jesus. It says that they begged which means to call to one's aid. So they're saying, hey, Jesus, come over here. This man needs you. This man has a great need. He can't hear. He can't speak. Come over here. Help him. They were intercessors. I don't know who these guys were, but I want people like this in my life, don't you? I mean, when you're going through it, when you're, when you're down, when you're out, to have people praying for you, it's so important that we pray for one another, that we lift one another up. Well, verse 32, again, it says, they begged him to put his hand on him. But as we read the account, we see that Jesus did not put his hand on him. They begged him to put his hand on him, but Jesus instead put his fingers in the man's ears. I bet they didn't see that one coming. They begged him to put his hand on him, but Jesus spat and touched his tongue. Yes. Now, you said, ooh, because this is what we do. We kind of read into the text. We assume that he spit and put the spittle on his tongue, but it doesn't say that. It just simply says he spit and touched his tongue. It doesn't say that he touched his tongue with the spittle, though we do know that he touched a man's eyes with some spit and dirt, making mud on one occasion. So whatever he did, but the point of the matter is, is that you look at this and you, you wonder to yourself, why did Jesus use such unusual, unusual methods to heal, or unusual method to heal this man? Why did he do that? So strange. I'm playing with you a little bit. If you know the scriptures, you know that there, there is no, there was no method with Jesus. I mean, there was no method. And, and people love methods. Even today, people, give me a method. Give me a key to unlock the door. Say this prayer. Do it this way. Take 10 steps. Go here. Go there. Your wish will come true. Jesus we see Jesus 
He healed with a word. He healed without a word. He healed in response to one's faith. He, re- he healed in, re- in the response of the faith of others. Jesus healed those who asked him. Jesus healed those who did not ask him. Jesus healed those whom he approached. Jesus healed those uh, whom, who approached him. Jesus healed those nearby. Jesus healed those from afar. Remember? Go your way. He's healed. He's not even here. You're not going to come. I don't need to come. There was no method with Jesus. It's not a method. It's not a method. It's not a technique. It's the person. It's Christ himself that brought the healing. We have to be so careful of this. We live in an age of gimmicks. And uh, they've infiltrated the church. And they've been in the church for a long time, you know, gimmicks. I remember as a boy, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer and she uh, a very devout Catholic she flew to Rome she went to a special spring she got water from that spring she brought that water back home with her to Indiana that water was holy water that water was special water that water was going to heal her of her cancer she died of cancer it was a gimmick. It was something that she had heard. It was something she put her hope in. Sadly, she didn't really put her hope in Christ, but her hope was in this magic formula or whatever it might be, this holy water. There's a lot of gimmicks like that. Do you guys remember the Jabez prayer fad that went through the church? It was a big deal for a while. And that's how fads are. They don't last very long. By the way, the word of God endures forever. The word of God endures in ever. If you're going to follow fads, you're going to be going from one thing like a pinball machine, you know, boing, 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 and you're going to be defeated and discouraged because you're going to realize that none of those things helped you. Well, let me remind you, if you don't, if you don't remember or you don't know of it, if you don't know of it, I'm kind of surprised because it, was a, it became a top seller in the Christian book uh, genre, but it was written by Bruce Wilkinson, And in this book, uh, he based the whole book off of one verse, and the verse was 1 Chronicles 4.10. I'll read the the verse to you. And Jabez, and, you know, we don't really know much about who Jabez was, but he was an Old Testament character. And it says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, and this is what he prayed, this is what he asked, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil and that I may not cause pain. So that was his prayer. And then it ends with this. So God granted him what he requested. Now you say, Dan, do you have a problem with that prayer? Well, no. That was a sincere prayer from a sincere man to God. And God granted his prayer. God did what, what he asked. The problem is, is that the author of this book, The Prayer of Jabez, Well, this is what he said, quote, it's a secret key. Now, when anyone presents something as a secret key, you start running away. It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. It's a secret key for us to break through our ordinary lives and find ourselves blessed by God in new and amazing ways, end of quote. 
and the book became a fad. I was reminded in the first service that there was a house right up the street here. Someone had bought it, and I, I guess they were able to buy the house, and they based it upon this prayer that they were praying, the Jabez prayer, and so they wanted it to be known, so they had a plaque out in front of their house, their house, the Jabez prayer, with, of course, the, the address, 1 Chronicles 4.10. But was it the prayer? Was that the key? Was that the magic formula? Was that the method to get things done? People love quick fix methods and gimmicks. Think of the realm of dieting. You know, I, I am so frustrated. In the past two years, I've put on so much weight. And uh, I could blame it on COVID, but I'd be lying, you know. But um, put on so much weight. And I, you know, you... You get older and you say, okay, what, what can work? You know, I've, I've lost weight before and, and how did I do it and this and that. And there's all of these silver bullets, you know. Just do this. Drink uh, chicken broth or beef broth or broth. You know, I guess you'd lose weight if all you did is drink broth, you know, but how miserable you would be, you know. <laughs> and there's all these different te techniques, you know, do this, do that, and there's all these things and they become very, very popular. And they make the person who came up with the idea very, very rich for a time because it's a fad and fads wear out because eventually they don't work and people realize that. I know that on a very practical, physical realm that when I need to lose weight, there are things I need to stop doing. There's things I need to do. It takes discipline. I don't say a prayer and wake up the next morning a size smaller in my, you know, pant size. You know, it is it is work. It is discipline. It's something I, I need to do. And spiritually, it's the same thing. I, th I think of the statement, you know, for us to break through our ordinary lives and to find ourselves blessed by God in a new and amazing way. Do you want to be blessed by God in a new and amazing way? Here's the key. Abide in the word. Be born again. Put your faith in Christ. Live for Christ. There are so many people. They, they almost act like Jesus is a, you know, like a technique or, or a, or a self-help book or some guru or something, you know. I tried that, but it didn't really work for me. So you tried Jesus. You tried the, <laughs> the, the way, the truth, and the life, and it didn't work for you. He didn't work for you. And these people, of course, they're not speaking the truth because they haven't tried him. They just would throw up prayers like wishes to heaven. You know, God, do this. God, do that. God, get me out of this jam. Help me, Lord. Things get better. You forget it. You move on to the next thing. But, of course, that's not who the Lord is. The Lord's come to save us from our sins, but not just to save us. You know, we're not just saved and now waiting for death or rapture or whatever. We're saved with a purpose to be used by the Lord, you know, to be witnesses for Christ. We've been given the great commission and all. We have a task, we have a mission, we have a ministry that the Lord has given us. If you want to have a breakthrough from your ordinary life, how about trying, how about living for Jesus? I've always if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that I'm always encouraging the folks. In fact, I just did it at the beginning of this study to be in the word, to be in the word, to be in the word. I'm like a broken record because I know that it's impossible to walk with the Lord without the word of God. 
And some have such a low uh, uh, opinion or view of the word of God. They, you know, they, they're, they're holding on to lies, to doctrines of demons, and yet they don't even, they don't even crack open the word of God and read the word of God and study the word of God. And what does the word of God say? And they believe the rhetoric of everyone else. You know the rhetoric. Oh, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. When people say that, hand them your Bible and say, could you show me one? <laughs> Just one. I would like that. And then hopefully know your scriptures well enough to know, to show that it's not a contradiction at all. There are people, they have no faith because they're not in the word of God. They made a profession of faith. They said, I believe in Jesus, but that's where it stopped. It's like, it's like someone saying, you know, I've got some weight to lose. I know what I'll do. I'll get a membership at the gym. I got my membership. What are you doing with it? Nothing. I got a membership, though. Really, do you think that that membership is going to help you do anything? To get healthy, to lose weight? No, of course it's not. You got to do something with it. You got to appropriate the things that are there that are available for you. We are living in the last days, and in the last days, Jesus told us that in the last days, it would be a time marked with, by deception. There's deception all around us. There's deception in the church, outside the church. People are deceived, and they are deceivers. Don't listen to deceivers. Don't listen to them. And we need to be people who know, need to know our stuff. And the only way you can know your stuff is if you know the word of God. And if you know the word of God, you're not going to fall for the fads that float in and out of the church. You're not going to do it. If you know the word of God, you're not going to fall for the Jabez prayer or the Daniel diet or the emergent stuff or the purpose-driven stuff. If you're a person who loves the word of God, reads the word of God, studies the word of God, applies the word of God, you're not going to fall for the faddish Revivals that come and go, the Toronto, the Brownsville, the Bethel, these revivals say, well, what do you mean, Danny? You can't, you can't. Listen, where are they? If it's a genuine work of God, where are they? Oh, it's just a move for a time. There's a book I enjoyed reading, and it was on, I've mentioned it before, uh, deals with the Jesus movement. You know, my wife and I came to faith in Christ during the Jesus movement. And so we look back on those times. We are fond of those times. Though it surely wasn't perfect, you know. There were problems, and there always is problems. Whenever you have people, you have problems. And the book just kind of deals with all of these movements, these Christian movements at that time. And it goes from movement to movement to movement. <laughs> And, and many of these leaders, because a lot of them, you know, it's a man and then it becomes a, a, a movement many times. A, a lot of the men became corrupt and they were doing things, you know, either taking money or exalting themselves. Uh, guys, listen, what did, I, I would hope that you would get up and leave. If I stood up here and, and said, you know, I've got the key, I've got the answers, look to me, I'm the one, I'm your master, I'm the... I hope you'd get up and say, that guy's a nut. Anyone that would draw attention to themselves 
And yet people do it all the time and people sit there and submit to it all the time. It's so bizarre to me. But anyway, it goes through all these different movements, things that were happening up here in Washington State and, of course, California, you know, a lot of things were taking place there. And not just on the West Coast, there were things that were happening in uh, Ohio and, and other parts in New York and things. Wherever there were young people, the Lord was doing a work, and many of these young people, disillusioned hippies, were coming to faith in Christ. And a beautiful work was done. It's interesting, as you go through the book, of course, it talks about Calvary Chapel because Calvary Chapel was really birthed uh, during the hippie movement and, of course, was a key player in the Jesus movement and a lot of things, you know, you think of contemporary Christian music and all of that were coming out of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa at that time. But as it went through all of these different groups, at the end of the book, you kind of come to the conclusion that none of these movements are here today. They were, they were at one time and then they've gone. And they said the only movement, one of the few movements that remain is Calvary Chapel. Now you say, oh, you're being self-serving. No, I'm just simply pointing this out. And this was the conclusion of the author. The reason I believe that Calvary Chapel is still a movement that continues is because Calvary Chapel was not based upon an individual, was not based upon a person. It was not built, built upon signs or wonders or things like that because there were a lot of strange things. You know, Vineyard Church, Vineyard came out of Calvary Chapel. Vineyard came out with Ken Gullickson, Chuck Smith's assistant, and then, of course, everyone knows John Wimber, but Ken was one of the first guys to go out. And I remember, you know, there were many that wanted to go a different way. They wanted to take a different approach and... And Pastor Chuck said, man, if this is the direction you want to go, do it. But you can't call yourself a Calvary Chapel because it's going to confuse people that are coming to your churches. And so that's when they came up with the name Vineyard Churches. It wasn't too long after that that at the Vineyard Church in Anaheim, John Wimber's church, they were doing a lot of strange things that you couldn't find in the Bible, like reading the auras of people. Say, how would you ever get involved in that? Because there was no discernment that, that, is, that is found from the word of God in you, abiding in you. But anyway, the author of the book says, the reason Calvary Chapel still continues to this day, and there are many Calvary Chapels uh, in the United States and in the world, is because it is a movement that is based upon the word of God, and the word of God does not change. So it's no credit to Calvary Chapel. Maybe it's that the Calvary Chapels, and sadly we've seen even Calvary Chapels as of late go in a different direction. But maybe it's because the pastors in Calvary Chapels or many Calvary Chapels, we believe what the scripture says, that a teacher, a pastor teacher, will, will be under a stricter judgment and that we need to be careful what we're saying and what we're teaching. And if we're just simply teaching our opinion, that one day we'll stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and give an account for the things that we said, for the things that we taught. And we take that seriously. And so maybe out of fear or reverence, I would like to say reverence and honor of God's word, we say, why would I want to move from the, from the left or the right of what the word of God teaches? We need to be people because there are fads in the church and there's always something new. 
And if we're not people of the word, we're going to fall for the lie. And many people are doing it. And I'm telling you, there's a day of reckoning. Jesus is coming back. And he doesn't care. You could follow man. You could follow foolish man. You could say, oh, I get so much. I glean so much. You're a fool. Do not follow a man. You follow Christ. You place your faith in Christ. Well, back to our text. Long detour there. The man, he could not hear. He could not speak. But he could see and he could feel. You say, what's that mean? He could not hear. So Jesus could speak to him, but he would just see his lips moving. He could not speak. He could not ask questions, but, but, but he, could, he could see and, and he could feel. He could see Jesus coming toward him with his fingers out. He could feel the fingers of Jesus going into his ears, and, and the guy knows, I can't hear her. He's communicating to me through the means of touch. He's doing something. Do you think that would increase his faith? I think it would increase his faith. He couldn't, he couldn't speak. He couldn't ask questions. But when Jesus touched his tongue, spittle or not, when he touched his tongue, he would feel that touch on his tongue. And then, of course, we have that word, that, that favorite word. It must have been a favorite word. For Mark, the word immediately, used over and over and over and over and over and over again in his gospel account, immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. What do you think he said when he spoke? You know, Jesus was simply doing what he was prophesied to do. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and six says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. I wonder if he sang. Guys, the man, he might not have known what was going on. You know, come on, you're coming with us. What, 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 what are you? What do you mean? What do you mean? Come on, come on, come on. We're taking you to see someone. And he goes there and he sees Jesus. And he surely hadn't heard about Jesus. <laughs> and yet after meeting Jesus, his life was never the same. You know, it says that Jesus sighed. That's interesting. Uh, the word can also be rendered groaned. The Greek word that's used there, it literally means to sigh, to groan. But it also speaks of praying inaudibly. Praying inaudibly. And we see an example of this. Again, the scripture confirms the scripture. Best commentary on the word of God is the word of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul wrote, Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul says, you'd have to look at the context, but he says, you know, right now, those who are saved, there's a groaning that's going on. There's an inaudible prayer that's being prayed. I said to the first service, you know, many of the pastors that I know that are in the word of God, love the word of God, believe that we're living in the last days, whenever we say goodbye whenever we end a phone call or a text or something like that. We usually end it with the word Maranatha. 
Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We believe that it's coming to an end. And there's this yearning within us. It's not, you know, oh, this life, this world is so miserable. I'll tell you, we are, we are so blessed. Do you guys realize how blessed we are? I mean, look out the, you're looking at me. I feel bad for you. I'm looking out at Penn Cove. This beautiful, I drive around this island. I love it. I love it. This is, you know, we've lived, we're Californians, but we've lived in Washington State longer than we lived in California. You know, I was born and raised in California. And uh, I just, I don't like leaving the island. If I leave the island, I'll leave the island for Anacortes. Well, that, that's as far as I were to go, you know. But, um, but you know, it, it is different. You, you drive down to Seattle, and, um, man, has that city changed? Man, when we first moved up here, anyone that would come and visit us, we would take them to Seattle. We'd go to Pikes, you know, we'd do all of that, and, and you'd walk around the city, and, you know, maybe there were some areas that were a little sketchy, but I'll tell you, you just, you drive by an I-5, and you just start praying, Lord, I pray that my car doesn't break down. Because it's just changed so radically. And it's not just true of our region. I mean, it's all over the place. Growing up in, in California, I've told the story many times, you know, back in the 60s, it's no wonder I became kind of a hippie kid. My mother was so taken by the hippies. And I think it was uh, 1968. And uh, she asked my dad, she said, can we go to San Francisco? I want to see the flower children. And I remember we drove up there in our 65 Mustang, my mother's car, and we drove around the streets of San Francisco and these flower children, these hippies all over the place. And I went, oh, look at them, look at them. It was like an amusement park or something for my mom. She was just so taken by them, you know. They were like gypsies. But, you know, you think of San Francisco, you think of Los Angeles, you think of Portland, Oregon, you think of Seattle, you think of, you know, these cities that once were so beautiful and they were, they were known as kind of, you know, places, desirable places, and now you wouldn't even want to go there. But we're blessed if you live on Whidbey Island. I mean, we drive around, you know, oh, the traffic jam, oh, yeah, oh, that traffic jam gets so bad. Where is it? Well, when you get up, kind of going up toward Walmart, if it's like 4.30, you might have to wait for like three minutes. I mean, it's horrible. It's just backed up all the way because they've got those two lights, and oh, it's, it's a pain, you know. It's so bad. Sometimes when I go home, because we live out on West Beach, and uh, I take the long way around because I want to avoid that big traffic jam. But we're spoiled. It's so beautiful. So it's not like, Lord, life is so dismal, life is so depressing, I live in such a dark place, you know, I just want to go to heaven. No, 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 no. It's the Spirit of God saying, in us, I want to go home. I, I, want, I want that adoption to be finalized. I, I want the redemption of my body. I want to be in the presence of my Lord. That's the yearning of the believer. The non-believer, you know, when guys like me talk about Bible prophecy, and I talk about it quite a bit, and you're cringing, you're saying, oh, I hate it when he does that, and I don't like that, that scares me, that freaks me out, something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
It might be because you're not in the word of God like you should be in the word of God. Because I'm telling you, when we talk about the last days, we're not just talking about the gloom and doom of the things that are coming. We're talking about Jesus coming. That's not doom and gloom at all. That's time of rejoicing. That's what we're all longing for, to be in his presence. Anyway, here's another verse, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Well, Jesus, he says, be open. That's what the word means, thathatha. I'm not pronouncing it right. But be open or be released. He said it, his ears were open, his tongue was released. Back to the theys. Are you a they in someone's life? I said it last week, you know, we have people that we know, they, they might never pray for themselves. You're a believer, you should be praying for them, you should be interceding for them. You might be married to somebody, they won't pray for themselves. Pray for them. Pray that they would be born again. Be an example to them. Be light to them. But pray for them. Don't give up. Don't quit until they come to faith in Christ or until it's too late for them. I've said it many times. And again, I, I don't say these things as a boast. I just say these things as kind of a mindset. You know, I became a Christian when I was just 20, just turned 20. I'd been married a year to Tracy and uh, came to faith in Christ, and immediately, I mean, like, if it wasn't the day, it was like the next day, I contacted my parents, and I told them what happened, and they were greatly disappointed, and thought, oh boy, here he goes again. And I contacted through letter or through phone calls all of my friends. We were living in Northern California. All my friends were down in San Diego, where I grew up, and I contacted them, and I said, um, I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. They say, what, is he, what does that even mean, born-again Christian, you know? And I tried to explain it. And they, they just kind of, you know, Danny, that's good for you. You're always into stuff like that. That's good for you. That's good for you. But I'll tell you, I never stopped praying for the salvation of my mother and father until my father died. So you can't pray for their salvation after they die. It's appointed for a man to die once and then the judgment. You only have an opportunity in life to come to faith. Everyone's going to change their mind after death. That's where we get that every knee shall bow, every tongue. It doesn't speak of universal salvation. It speaks of universal acknowledgement. <laughs> he is who he claimed to be. But, And I prayed for my mom until she was in her 80s and she came to faith in Christ. And, you know, we just don't stop. We continue to pray. We continue to intercede. We need to be the they in people's lives. It's interesting how Jesus, he takes this man away. He does what he does. He heals the man. The man's restored. The man's now speaking plainly. And, and then he turns to the men or to the people. I, I keep assuming men, to the people who brought this fellow to Jesus and Jesus says to them, shh, don't tell anybody about this. What? 
don't talk about this one. Now, it's interesting because, you know, last week when we looked at the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter, remember we we're kind of going back and forth. We went, we looked at Mark's account and then Matthew's account because they're the only two gospel writers that, that, that record that particular miracle. And as we were going back and forth looking at this, I was talking about how it's interesting how Jesus would do things. Well, you, you have Matthew's account of the Syrophoenician woman, and then the very next text, which is not this text, because Mark's the only one that records this, but the very next text, so it tells us that, that what Matthew recorded came very, very close to this particular miracle. But what Matthew records is that there were all these people that had conditions. They were lame and they were blind and they were deaf and they were, you know, and all these different things. And they came to Jesus and they were there with the multitude and he healed them all. And everyone saw and everyone was a witness to it. And so you read that account and you say, yeah, but why? And here's the answer. I'm the one who holds the key. Look to me. Give your, no, no, no. I have no idea. I have no idea. All I know is that he said that. And he said that on a number of occasions. He, he said that to Jairus and his wife after their daughter was raised from the dead. That was mind-blowing. But, but they were disobedient, you know. And these guys were disobedient because the more he commanded them not to, they did it. He said, oh, those rotten sinner. You know, it would be hard. I could not. If, if Jesus was to say, Danny, I'm doing something in your son's life. Danny, I, I've done something in your daughter's life. Danny, I've, I've done something in your life. Danny, I look at, yes, Lord, I see it. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, don't talk about this. I would be in sin because I'm a blabbermouth when it comes to what the Lord is doing. And if the Lord is doing some wonderful thing, I just want to tell people about it. Now, I guess if he specifically told me, you know, you've got to keep this one under your hat, you know, then hopefully I'd be obedient to that. But the point is, is that he told them not to speak, and they did speak. It says that they were astonished beyond measure. I like that. I think that that, that shouldn't change. Listen. I know that when you guys come to church here, I mean, you're not listening to Jesus. You're listening to a man. And I'm sorry for that. I would much prefer to be uh, sitting or kneeling or on my face and looking at and hearing the voice of Jesus. I can't wait for that. I cannot wait for that. But I, I know this, that the word of God is not boring. The things that God does in people's lives is not boring. It's astonishing. It should grab our attention. It should cause us to say, oh, look what God has done. God is so good. God is so great. I was sharing with the first service that last night I fell asleep listening to something. And then I woke up, I don't know how long later, because it just kind of went to the next thing. And the next thing happened to be, as I woke up, the ending of a uh, study from Jack Hibbs. And so... And I, I was kind of dreaming about 
as I'm listening to him, I didn't know that I was listening to him and I was kind of dreaming. Anyway, I woke up and I'm just kind of lying there and um, Jack Hibbs was sharing. He said, uh, you know, I was in a part of the city and a part where I grew up and I was driving down the street in my car and I looked across and, and I was thinking of being on that same street when I was 12 years old riding my bike. And I was just thinking how time is, time flies and everything. But this is what he said. He says, as he was thinking of he as a boy on that very street at 12 years of age. And let me give you just kind of a little background. Because from what I understand, Jack Hibbs was the survivor of abortion. So that might give you kind of a clue of his, maybe his early life upbringing and all. But anyway, Jack said that as he was thinking about himself at 12 years of age, and he was looking at his life now in his 60s, he said he couldn't contain himself, and he says to the Lord, you are amazing! And so he was just considering what the Lord has done in his life. And I think that the same is to be true. I think that, I think that as children of God with the spirit of God and the word of God and we're abiding in the word and the word of God is abiding in us I think that we should have not once or twice in our lifetime I think it should be a fairly regular thing that we are astonished beyond measure I can't believe Lord I can't believe you did that this is so good this is so wonderful I had a, a meeting I wasn't looking forward to it and I had a meeting and to be honest I was really expecting the worst to come out of the meeting and I asked a few people to pray for me and I was really nervous and I went and I had the meeting and the meeting as we're going on we're just chatting we're just talking we're just fellowshipping but every moment I'm kind of waiting for the shoe to fall you know it's coming I know it's coming here it comes you know and and we finished up and, and so then we make our way down into the parking lot. And I said, okay, now, now it's coming. It's coming. And so I'm on edge. You know, the whole, I'm like super tense, you know, because I'm waiting for it, you know. I've been practicing when I'm gonna, how I'm going to respond, you know. And the person gives me a hug and says, I love you. It was so good to see you. We'll have to do this again. I said, yeah. And I got in my truck and I just said, Lord, I'm such an idiot. I, you know, I do this quite often. I assume that things are going to go a certain way. I assumed that this was a setup. I assumed that this was going to be some heavy thing, and it wasn't that at all. It was exactly what the person said they wanted it to be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I was, I was just, I was, that was a moment where I was astonished beyond measure. And then I got on the phone. I'm calling different people that I asked to pray for me. And they said, how'd the meeting go? And I said, it was wonderful. It was exactly what the person said. It went beautifully. And they're, oh, great. Oh, wonderful. You, know, you might say, well, what's the big deal? You know, there are some things that are big deals in our life. And when we see the Lord work, we should be astonished beyond measure. Remember last week, if you were here, most of you weren't. It was pretty bleak last week. <laughs> but, but I said that intercession is taking another's needs and making it your own needs. That's what intercession is. Taking another's needs and making it your needs. And that's what we see these fellows doing. 
He said, I could hear what I care about him. I could speak what I care about him. No, I care. You can't hear. You can't speak. I, I think I know someone that can remedy this problem. I, 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 by faith, I'm going to take you to this person because I think that he is the answer for your problem. They were interceding. They were, they were going with the zeal, with the fervency, almost as if they couldn't hear and they couldn't speak. And this was an opportunity for they themselves to be healed. And the blessing of the intercessor is seeing their prayers answered and seeing others blessed. That's the blessing that's attached to it. It's not, what did I get out of it? It's, look what God has done for them. This is so beautiful. Seek him. Come on up, Mario. Seek him. Live for him. Call out to him. And you'll find that he does all things well. All things well. Jesus is coming back. I hope that you have placed your faith in Christ. If you haven't, you need to do so. You need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I mean, this isn't, you know, just something you take for granted. You need to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Think of that. The greatest intercessor. He's interceding for us. So we let our requests be made known to him, and he prays on our behalf maybe with sighs or groanings that are un, you know, unspeakable. He's our advocate. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He is our propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. I mean, you know, guys, what we have in Christ cannot be compared to any, any, anything else. You say, well, I don't even know what those words mean, atonement and, and uh, advocate and propitiation. What does that mean? You've got to be in the word. If you're in the word, you're going to read these things, you're going to understand these things, and you're going to be amazed beyond measure. You know what you're going to be amazed at? You're going to be amazed that God saved someone like you, that God loves someone like you, that God chose to use someone like you, that God is using someone like you. There's the amazement. Because I'll tell you, when you're reading the word of God, when you're studying the word of God, something happens. We don't try. We don't, we don't work, you know, to get this to happen. It happens naturally or supernaturally. And this is what it is, humility. See, God becomes what he is, great, wonderful, big, large. And we, not so. Paul wrote to the Galatians that we need to be careful that we're not, that we don't have conceit, that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He warns us that if we bite and devour one another, beware, you know. We need to be humble people. I said to the first service, you know, we kind of anticipated because we've had a, a few times, as many of you know, over the past year or so, where we've had protesters out in front of our church. And so we kind of thought with all that's going on with the role reversal and everything, we thought that maybe we might have some uh, 
you know, people out there protesting. They didn't show up or they're late, you know, so. But, um, but I told the folks, the first service, I said, you know, guys, as we're listening to some of the things coming out of people's mouths, and, and the shocking thing, it's coming out of the mouth of women. They, see, they say the most vile, grotesque things about babies, about their babies that they want to abort. It's so absolutely disgusting that we need to be careful and remind ourselves that they're not our enemies. They're not our enemies. They, their issue is not with us. Their issue is with God. And, and they're at enmity with the Lord. And they need to be saved. And so we need to be careful because, again, we could really mess up if, if you know, someone's coming and they're saying something and they're using all sorts of language that we don't appreciate or something. They're getting in our face. And we come back and we've got harsh words toward them. We're missing our opportunity to, some of you will misunderstand this. Those of you that know the scriptures will appreciate this. We will miss our opportunity to heap burning coals upon their head. If you don't know the word of God, you're saying, that sounds mean. If you do know the word of God, you know what that means. It's not retaliating. It's loving in spite of. The burning coals were a blessing, not judgment on them, but blessing on them. And uh, we want to be the light that the Lord has called us to be. We want to be the salt that the Lord has called us to be. We want to not miss out on the opportunity to share the gospel with people who need to be saved. We need to be a voice of reason and hope for women that have had abortions that they could be forgiven of sin, all sin. That's not the only sin. There could be restoration. There could be life. And we want to get people in the word of God because when we're in the word of God, you know what happens? Our mind is transformed. We think differently. We think differently about motherhood. We think differently about marriage. We think differently about uh, being an employee or an employer. We think differently about money. We think differently about, we think differently about everything because the word of God is shaping the way we think. So stand with me, please, and we'll close in a song. Father, we pray that we would take whatever application we might have gleaned from this today. We pray, Father, and surely there are other things that you've spoken to people, maybe individually, from this text. We just pray, Father, that we'd leave here with something and that we would apply it to our lives, Lord. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.